We are going to make our way to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And in honor of Father's Day, uh, we are going to continue to study through 1 Corinthians. So you know what dads love? They love consistency. And we're going to be consistent as we continue to make our way through uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. As you guys head that direction, let me just remind you of where we've left off, where we've been up to this point. That for the first 11 chapters, Paul is writing uh, correctively to the church in Corinth. They've got all kinds of issues happening within the church. I mean, they are essentially tore up from the floor up as a group of people. And so Paul is writing this letter to them initially to address the mess that is the Corinthian church. And so he goes through 11 chapters writing correctively to the church in Corinth, which is why when we arrived in chapter 12 last week, I told you I was so excited because Paul transitions from writing correctively to then writing constructively through the rest of the book. And so now Paul is going to give them constructive feedback of what it looks like to lead and to live a spirit-filled life. Now, in the spot that we're in through these next several chapters, Paul's specifically honing in on spiritual gifts. And what he says there in verse 1 that we looked at last week is that I don't want you to be ignorant. And so Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant or without understanding concerning spiritual gifts. And when we arrived in verse 1, he said, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. But I mentioned last week that this word gifts is italicized in most of your Bibles. And the reason that it's italicized is because it was not in the initial manuscript. And so as Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he didn't write spiritual gifts. Now, by the time it makes its way to our English translation, the translators thought it'd be a good idea to write the word gifts in there, but thankfully it's italicized so we know. So if you would have read this initially in the Greek, it would have said, now concerning spirituals, or the word in the Greek is pneumatikos, or pneumatikos, however you want to pronounce it. And what it concerns us with is all the realm of the supernatural. And so he's writing to them to help them to understand this supernatural realm, which frankly we have a tremendous amount of ignorance about. This is that whole area of that defies logic and understanding. And so Paul mentions this, and actually four other times in Paul's letter, letters, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says this concerning uh, the Old Testament typology that exists. And what we talk about here is that the uh, Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And so this revelation of Jesus in the Old Testament, Paul writes to them in chapter 10 says, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning the things of the rapture, the return of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning the tactics Satan tries to use against this. And then in Romans chapter 11, Paul says, look, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning God's plan for the nation of Israel, for the Jewish people. Now, when we look at these five topics, there's maybe no uh, five topics that the church has more ignorance about. <laughs> there's there's all kinds of bad theology and ignorance concerning these topics. And interestingly enough, 2,000 years later, Paul's letter is very applicable to us today. So now here he's going to hone in on spiritual gifts. And what we covered in those first 11 verses is Paul saying that the Spirit is the giver of the gifts. And he gives many diverse gifts, diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. And Paul says that over and over again, diversity with similitude or similarity. And so what we find is that as the Spirit gives gifts, He gives gifts 
diversely in different ways. All you are given different giftings, but he gives it from the same spirit because in the Holy Spirit, we see we have unity in the midst of diversity. They were called to be different and diverse people, and yet we're called to have a unity in the Holy Spirit. We come together as a family, or as Paul is going to give the illustration today, as a body of Christ. Now, as we went through the giftings of the Holy Spirit, it was pointed out to me that I actually missed one last week, and that was the gift of prophecy. So uh, if any of you actually had the gift of prophecy, you would have already known that I was going to forget to mention the gift of prophecy. So maybe that right there tells you you're not prophetic. But all that to say, I didn't intend, I actually had it in my notes, it never made it to the slides. So I do want to just mention the gift of prophecy is actually uh, twofold, we see in Scripture. There is the prophecy that is uh, foretelling. That is, if you think of the prophet Isaiah, he is telling about events that are happening out in the future. He is foretelling these things that are to come. And lots of times when a prophet were to give a a foretelling prophecy, you could think of it a lot like a mountain range. He would kind of describe the whole range, and then there were various peaks that would happen at different times. And so for a a foretelling prophet, you have to actually wait to see if the prophet uh, is accurate on did the events come to pass or not. And so you wouldn't always know if the prophet was from the Lord or not until the events he prophesied about actually took place. Now, the other type of prophecy that happens in Scripture is called foretelling. This is where God's Word is actually infused into our life, and someone with this gift would say, hey, this is a word the Lord gave me, or something that He laid out that is going to come to pass very shortly for you. Or this is something to actually, here's the key to prophecy, uh, encourage you. In chapter 14, when Paul talks about prophecy, it is always to do three things. To uh, edify, that is to build up, to exhort, that is strong encouragement, and to comfort. So if you are in a spot where a supposed prophet stands up in front of you and says, thus saith the Lord, you're going to fry like a sausage! Um, I don't personally find that uh, edifying. Uh, I don't find that encouraging whatsoever. And I am not comforted in the least bit about frying like a sausage. And so I would tell you this prophet probably did not come from the Lord. That this is not the spirit that God wanted us to hear that in. Because here's the thing. As God gives gifts, as the Spirit gives us gifts, these gifts are actually to unify and to encourage us, not to drive us apart and divide us. So, with that said, let's go to chapter 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And having all been made to drink into one Spirit, verse 14, for in fact the body is not one member, but many. And so Paul, remember, is writing to this Corinthian church, and the number one issue that existed in the church in Corinth was divisiveness. They were divided when they should have been united. In fact, what Paul said back in uh, verse 10 of chapter 1, when we started this all the way back in February going through this letter, he says, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. So consistent language Paul is using with them because he wants them to be in the same spirit. 
But the issue that he addresses in chapters 2 and chapter 3 that they're having is uh, they are not in the same spirit, in the same mind, because they are carnal. And we talked about what it meant to be a carnal Christian. That is one who believes, and yet they are directed by their flesh. They are operating not from the spirit giving direction, but from their flesh. And here's the thing, the flesh always wants more. The flesh wants what the flesh wants, and we become very, very selfish. And as we become selfish and operating in our flesh, guess what? Uh, We are divided. We are divided because my wants and needs and likes aren't necessarily what you want and need and like. And Paul's encouragement here, when we arrive to chapter 11, verse 1, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's sharing with them what it looks like to live and to be led by the Spirit, which is concerned for others ahead of ourselves. And so Paul is writing this. He's encouraging them to be unified in the Spirit. Now, when we are now at the passage we're in today, in chapter 12, we see God as the giver of gifts. And we talked about that last week, that this word gifts is the word charisma. And a charisma, charis, is a grace. And so these gifts are not merited. We don't deserve them. It's not that we're good boys and girls, and so God gives us a gift because we've been so good. No, He gives us just because He's so gracious. He gives us these giftings, and they are good gifts. In fact, uh, James chapter 1, verse 17 says this, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So as God is a good, good Father, He gives us good, good gifts, but not all the same gift. He gives us a diversity of gifts, and yet in Him, did you catch that? There is no variation. So He is full of integrity. There is no variation in God, but He is a giver of a multitude of different gifts so that the body, which is what Paul is writing to here in chapter 12, can operate together. If we were all arms, we wouldn't operate correctly. And so Paul's going to get into this here in just a minute. Now, for many of you, you're questioning and wondering, uh, do I have any gifts whatsoever? What I want to encourage you in is that I believe every single one of us that are believers in Jesus have been given a gift. We don't always know what that gift is, and that's the issue. And so I want to encourage you to do three different things when it comes to your spiritual gift. Uh, First of all, to pray. Pray that God would reveal to you what is your gifting. You've all been given something by the Holy Spirit. What is your gifting? What part are you? The second thing I want to encourage you to do after you first pray is to ask others around you, because oftentimes others will see in you what you don't see in yourself or what you're too humble to actually admit about yourself. And so as you pray and others then reveal to you, hey, I see that you're a great encourager. I see you have the gift of teaching. I see you have the gift of mercy. And so as they see these things, you can then take that back to the Lord and say, Lord, is this a gifting that you've given me? And the third thing you can do is you can Google it. So after you've prayed, don't do the Google first. After you've prayed and you've asked others, then you can go uh, to the Googles and you can ask Google what Google thinks. And there is a particular website that I have used in the past. It's called uh, uniquelyyou.com. You can take a spiritual gifts test online. I think it costs 10 bucks. And what it will do is it will identify among this list, and this is a list that you can uh, take a picture of if you want to, but these are spiritual gifts that are listed out in the New Testament, and it will identify for you 
what your spiritual giftings might be. But again, uh, prayer first, others second, Google is third. But you can go on and do that if you're interested at all. Now, all this to say, or all this that we might come to the question, why does God do this? Like, why does he give us gifts anyway? I mean, we're obviously inherently uh, bad as people. Uh, Every one of us is sinned. Uh, None of us is worthy. No, not one. So why does God give us gifts like this? I'm going to go to John chapter 14. And as I make my way to John chapter 14, this is a part of really five chapters that John dedicates to the final evening that Jesus was with the disciples, what we call the Last Supper. It's called the Upper Room Discourse. And so Jesus is going through a laundry list of final things that he wants to impart upon the disciples. And he's telling them, look, I'm going to have to go away. And as he's telling them, I'm going to go away, they're like, no, don't, you you can't go away. You're the Messiah. You've got to stay here. Don't be silly. You're not going anywhere. And what Jesus says to them in John chapter 14, verse 12 is this, Assuredly, I say to you, that he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And so Jesus' promise is that as he departs and he leaves with us his spirit, that we, did you catch that, will do greater works than Jesus. I mean, think about this. This is his words. His promise is that we, as a collection of believers, will do greater works than Him. As Jesus was going around healing people and and curing leprosy and preaching tremendous messages, this is His promise to you and I. And here's what Jesus is communicating, what you have to consider as He says this. Uh, He, as He poured Himself into uh, flesh, was limited because He was only one person. He was limited in his proximity, where he could go. He only traveled in a hundred mile radius his entire ministry. And so he only performed these healings, these miracles. He only taught these messages to the people that were around him. He occasionally healed someone that wasn't directly there. But guess what? They were within the same country as one another. And so Jesus was limited physically by his own design and desire to give himself for us. But guess what? As he now gives us His Spirit, we are no longer limited. And so as He arose up into the heavens and then gave us in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit, here's Acts chapter 2, verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so as the 120 followers of Christ were there in the upper room, the Spirit came down, and now, guess what? Uh, one became 120. Now, as one become 120, they begin to speak in tongues and utterances in verse 11. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Remember what I shared with you last week about the gift of tongues is that it is always from man to God. It's a form of worship. What did they hear when they heard these unique tongues? They heard these people worshiping. And as they heard them worshiping, Peter, given the gift to teach, takes this opportunity to seize this time to then begin to teach and share the gospel. And what we're told in verse 41 of Acts 2, those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. As Jesus gives the Holy Spirit to us, 
as he is broken and his spirit goes forth, one become 120, become 3,000. See, he has called us to do greater works than these, to go out to the highways and the byways. And as we read through the book of Acts, we see his followers now going out and doing these works all over the place. Now we read through the book of Acts, and we studied this a couple years ago. We look through the book of Acts and we go, man, why don't we see miracles like in the book of Acts? Now the Acts are actually not the Acts of the Apostles. These are the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through these men and women. And so as we see this happening, you'll notice um, 28 chapters in Acts, 30 years roughly of time, and 31 miracles. Now consider that in this room. We've got 80, 90 people in here this morning. Uh, if we all stopped for a minute and we journaled, we wrote down all the things that we have been able to either witness personally or people that we directly know in the last year, what has transpired, uh, I guarantee you we can come up with more than one miracle. We are looking at Jesus continuing to do the work that he promised. We often just don't slow down enough to recognize it. And so Jesus continues to do this work through his spirit, through the same spirit that is the giver of these gifts. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. And so Jesus existing, his spirit is in you, and you now have the opportunity to go out and, and use the gifts that he's given. And you use the gifts that he's given so that we can be called followers. We can lead other people to the Lord. Now Jesus said in John 14 that this is for all those who believe. And for many of us in this country, um, believing is not the problem. You ask any number of people, they'll tell you they're a believer. So what I would encourage you is for those who are following. In many places, it is actually a crime to just simply believe. But here, for us, where we're at, there is nothing really that we lose by just proclaiming to be a believer. My good friend Daniel Messiah, who's going to be here uh, from Egypt in September, for him to admit that he was a believer, it cost him nine months in solitary confinement, and he can never go back to Egypt ever again unless he wants to be arrested on the spot. His belief cost him a tremendous amount. For us, belief doesn't cost us that much. But following, following is another story. Following costs us oftentimes everything. It can cost us friends, it can cost us relationships, it can cost us jobs. But here's what Jesus is encouraging us to do, is to follow after him so that others can then be led and we can spend all of eternity together. So the price is short, but the gain is so much greater as we consider the eternal implications. So following is really where the issue lies. Now, back to verse 15. Paul, continuing with this analogy, says, If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Or if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? And if the whole were a, uh, if the whole would be the, where would be the hearing? Excuse me. And if the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And so for the followers who come together in an assembly like this, we are all given a different role to be a part of the body of Christ. And so the encouragement there as I 
as I was trying to exhort you into finding your spiritual gift, is really to find out what part of the body do you play. And realizing when that part is identified, don't feel like you're less than, because what did we just read in verse 18? He has done this as he pleased. He's the one who decided what part you and I get to play inside the body of Christ. And what Psalm 139, many of you have this committed to memory, says is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so as he has created you and designed you to be a part of this assembly, you are made for a purpose. There's a purpose you have to serve within the body of Christ. Now verse 19, And if they were all one member, where would the body be? Now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. Verse 22, No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And so what we see is some members of the body can feel like they don't have an important role, like they're, in fact, unnecessary, or the role that they play isn't as helpful as some others who play a role inside the body of Christ. I was called into ministry in 2016. And as God called me into ministry, and I got the chance to share that with my pastor, he gave me my first job inside ministry helping at Parkland Chapel in Farmington, Missouri. And outside the chapel, we had this uh, pond that was beautiful, and yet it was not so beautiful because cattails had grown up five, six feet tall. And so my first role uh, to serve in ministry was as the head weed whacker of the pond. Uh, all the way around there at Parkland Chapel. And so I got out my weed eater and I began to whack away. And for weeks, I cut these stinking cattails to get them all down. I tried to avoid snakes, put in my ear pods, and just went to work. And this might not seem like that valuable of a role, but if you look at this picture on the screen, um, that's that pond today. They've built a beach and a baptismal. And just today, just from the beginning of the year until now, uh, they have baptized over 30 people in that pond that was thought to be a waste place. It was nasty. But if there's not someone there to cut the weeds, if there's not someone there to tend to it, the, the practical things are put in place so that the spiritual things can happen, you understand. And so this is what we see God doing is he gives us a different role. And the same is true if we stay home, by the way. And I love the fact that we can be on Facebook and we can be live and you can watch from home and, and you can check us out to see how weird we are before you come here. Now you know for sure that we're weird. But you, you come because you're able to see it. I love that. But here's the thing that's missing. Uh, you. You're missing. You're important. You're valuable. Someone here might have needed to hear from you or to see you or there's a role to play that you uh, fill that is vital. Now we continue in verse 23. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having, having given greater honor to the parts which lack it. And so there are some parts just naturally that are more prominent, that we see. When you think about this in terms of the human body, what do we spend all our time on but the face? Got to get the face ready. Got to get the face looking good so others can see it. And, and all this reminds me of 
uh, the first date that I took my wife on. Now we're in high school, uh, Casey, Illinois, and you know that if you uh, if you grew up in Casey, where you go out to eat when you got a new girl you want to take on a date, you go to Terre Haute. And so we made our way to Terre Haute, and we went to the mall. And yes, kids, the mall at one time was cool, and there were actual shops there at the mall. It was awesome. And so as we made our way to the mall, and I'm able to go on the date, I mean, the face is communicating, and the face is talking and interacting, and things are going good. And so then, while we're in the mall, I'm going to take her to a nice restaurant. I'm going to Garfield's, right there on the front of the mall. Nothing but the best for my baby. And so we make our way into the Garfield's, and the faces are getting along so well. And, and me, and all my infinite wisdom, as the faces are communicating so beautifully, I decide to order, and I ordered the Mexican sampler platter. Because uh, when you're 16, you're not thinking about anything other than the face, right? Communicating to the other face. And so we have a great time at dinner, and we, we're interacting, and then it's time to take her home. And I'm going to make sure I get her home five, ten minutes early, right? Because I want to be able to take her out again. So I don't want her stepdad chasing me off with a gun. So I'm going to get her home a little bit early. So we make our way uh, onto the interstate, onto I-70, my little red pickup truck, and we're talking so well on the way home. And then, and then it happened. The revenge of the Mexican sampler platter. And inside me was something completely unholy. It sounded like, and immediately the face could no longer speak. I couldn't utter any words whatsoever and I just feel the gas pedal start to drive a little faster and she's still talking away. It's like, are you okay? As the beads of sweat are rolling down my head and I look at her and I say, the face then decides to lie, of course. Yeah, I'm good. Fine. Absolutely. And I just continue to drive faster and faster. Now, a few more times she asked me, are you sure you're not, you're not looking so good and I'm driving 80 90 mile an hour trying to make it home. Like, dear God, please let me get back to the house. And finally, the face can no longer hold back the truth. And she's like, are, are you sure you're okay? And I said, listen, if I speak anymore, I'm going to poop my pants. I had to just admit what was taking place. I said, I'm going to have to take you back to mom and dad's house while I go to the bathroom. And we never said another word. I pulled in the driveway I sprint back to the back, and I leave my first date awkwardly to have a conversation with my parents while I'm back nearly dying in the restroom. Now, all this to say, somehow she still married me, first of all. Um, but all this to say that when the digestive system that we don't give much prominence to, that we don't give much credit to, decides to act up, it doesn't matter how much time I spent on the face. It doesn't matter what the face had to say or how the face wanted to operate. All systems had to be working together in order for the whole body to come out uh, on the right end of this thing, which is what Paul says here in verse 25. That there should be no schism in the body. And there was a schism for sure in that story. But that the members should have the same care for one another. And so what Paul is communicating here is that all the parts have to be in tune with one another, or the whole body shuts down. Now, verse 26, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, 
You are the body of Christ and the members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and after that miracles, and then gifts of healings, and helps, and administrations, and varieties of tongues. And so what we see is that, first of all, in verse 26, what Paul communicates is when one member suffers, all suffer. Or when one member is honored, all members are honored. Now you can imagine going back in the day to to Joe Montana throwing the big touchdown pass in the game. Now, as he throws the touchdown pass to Jerry Rice with his right arm, you know the left arm wasn't going, I'm not going to raise my hand. Stinking right arm gets all the glory. I'm not even going to bother. No, what happens when Joe throws a touchdown, but touchdown, right? The whole body is excited. Why? Because the body has just scored a touchdown. And so it's true with us inside the body of Christ, that when one part celebrates, we should all celebrate. And when one part suffers, we should all come alongside and communicate grieving and suffer together. What Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 14 or 15, excuse me, is this, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. And so what Paul is communicating here is that we should celebrate. We should laugh with those who laugh. If you see somebody laughing and telling a story, I mean, don't be afraid to get right back up in there and go, ha ha, I mean, laugh with them. Have a little bit of fun together. But same way, when you see someone mourning or in tears and they're upset, don't be afraid to go up there, humble yourself a little bit, and just shed a tear. And rather than giving some uh, great opinion about whatever their situation is, I want to encourage you first to just uh, say, I'm sorry. Say, I'm sorry. And just cry with them for a minute. And so as we do this, here's the beautiful thing. As you do this and you allow yourself to be put in that position, for many of us, if you've ever been in a spot where you struggle with depression or just being down, Uh, Let me just encourage you that the best way I have found to get out of a dark spot or out of a depressed spot is to go help somebody. Go help somebody in need. You'd be amazed how many times you're going to forget thinking about your thing altogether and you're going to focus in on their thing. Your thing's going to fade off in the distance or you're going to realize you didn't have it that bad in the first place. So helping someone can often take your mind off the situation. Now, Back to verse 29. Are all apostles? Well, no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have the gifts of healings? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. And so Paul asked this series of rhetorical questions knowing that the answer to it Every time is going to be no, that no single person fills all of these roles. And yet, every one of these roles he's just listed and the ones he did not list are all vital. What we see is so many times the parts that are the most vital are the parts that are needed for growth. If you go back to verses 23 and 24, what Paul is communicating there is we have these presentable parts that are uncovered, but we have the unpresentable parts that are covered up. 
That's exciting. All right. That was exciting. Yeah, your guitar was acting up all of a sudden. I think it wanted me to play it. Play a little. Anyway. So all parts are vital. Even the sound guy was vital. See that? Serving in other roles? Very vital in that moment. But what you find is that there are parts that are necessary for our body for growth. And I'll try not to be too graphic. But what you know is these parts that we cover that we're the most modest about are the parts that are needed for reproduction, right? And so too is the case in the body of Christ, that we need to reproduce. We need to continue to grow and have the next generation come up. Otherwise, we die as a church. If you've gone to any of these churches that are dying, you know what you find in them? Lots and lots of old people. There's no life there because there's no life. And so at some point, they're so close to heaven, they're going to go away and there's not going to be anybody to continue the word to progress and move forward. And so the same is true inside the body of Christ. And what you find is there are places just like downstairs where there is the entire future of the church. And please know that Christianity is always one generation away from being completely extinct. And so as we have the future down there, there are then those that have to serve. And and lots of times serve week in and week out. And they get to serve, by the way. It's not a have to. They get to serve as they invest in the future of the church. And and yet, more often than not, they go completely unnoticed. And they go completely unseen. But I firmly believe, I firmly believe, one, that the church cannot exist unless we reproduce. And we have to have young people in order for us to continue to grow. But then outside of that, I do believe that there's going to come a point in time where we're all going to be up there in front of Jesus. We're going to be at the wedding supper of the Lamb. And we're going to be shocked by who gets the seats up closest to Jesus. And it's not going to be the Billy Grahams, and it's not going to be the Brock Ashleys, or the John Corsons, the Chuck Smiths, or the Chuck Swindells. It's going to be all those Sunday school teachers that many of us had that invested in us, that never got recognized, and never got noticed because what Jesus says in Luke chapter 8, verse 17 is this. He says here in verse 17, Nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. And we read that verse and we often think of our own sin because we're selfish and we think of us. What thing is God going to reveal? But think about all the good things, all the the times where those folks have poured into young people, poured into these little sheep, those things are going to be made known. They're going to be noticed and called forth. And all these servants that think that all the work that I did, it got completely ignored and washed over and nobody even cared. Jesus did. He cared so very much. He's going to make all those things known someday. All this to say, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much 
And, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. That as we have this opportunity to come together, that there is health that exists in us assembling. Notice I didn't say we're a, a gathering, right? So we, we don't just gather together. We are assembled together. There is a specific spot that Jesus has for you to be a part of the assembly. Now, as we head down the home stretch here, verse 31, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Please know that desiring to have gifts is not a bad thing. It's not selfish of you to desire to have a gift from your good, good father. He is excited about giving you a gift. But please know that the gift is not the most important thing. That as we are given a good gift by our Heavenly Father, if it's not joined together with love, then you're nothing but a clanging uh, gong. There is no fruit there. What we talked about last week is that gifts are not a sign of fruit, that the sign of fruit or maturity is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, period. And so as we have love and then we are given gifts, now they can be on display. Now it's like octane for us as we serve one another in love. Now you might wonder, how do the gifts come together in an assembly? How does it come together as we uh, operate amongst each other? I'll give you one last example before I I let you go. Give me just two minutes, which since I'm a pastor probably means five, but I'm going to pretend like it's going to only take two. You can imagine that as I'm sharing with you, uh, you know, and I speak, I've drank entirely too much coffee, and so I get a, a, a frog in my throat. And as I develop this frog in my throat, one of you with the gift of helps, you decide to be uh, willing to operate that gift, and you go back to the water jug, and you bring me up a cold cup of water to take care of the frog that's in my throat. So thank you so much, gift of helps people. I take the drink, it gets better for a minute, but then, man, it comes back with a vengeance. This thing's like a full-on bullfrog. I can't, <coughs> I can't clear it out. I can't get it going. And so I, I looked to the gift of helps person. I said, thank you for the cup of water, but would you mind to go downstairs this time and get me a whole pitcher of water? Go down there in the kitchen, get me a whole pitcher. And while you're at it, I don't like water as much. I prefer red Kool-Aid. Would you mind just mixing up a little red Kool-Aid? Don't tell Angela. She wants me to drink my water. But make me a little red Kool-Aid. And so the gift of helps person, they go down there. They make a whole pitcher of Kool-Aid. They come. They're bringing it up here. So happy to be exercising their gift. And they come down the aisle way. And as they're about halfway down the aisle, they trip. And there goes the pitcher full of the Kool-Aid. And it hits the ground. Kool-Aid goes everywhere. And the pitcher shatters. Now, all of a sudden, you've got the gift of mercy people. And they're seeing what's happened. They've got the gift of mercy and empathy. And they're like, oh, i got to go help that person. And so they go and they get paper towels and they start dabbing. They're dabbing the helps person off who's crying. They're picking up the pieces of glass. And then you've got the gifts of administration people. They're seeing all this thing going down and they're taking notes. They're writing notes. They're like, how could we avoid this from happening in the future? I bet you if we got him a cup holder, up there on either side of his cool swivel stool, he could just have a cup of water ready to go. Or even better, we'll get him one of those helmets with the drink coming out of the top. It'll cover up that bald spot he doesn't like to talk about. So we're killing two birds, one stone, we'll do that. And then you've got the people with the gifts of teaching. And they're there taking notes. They're like, 
Oh, this would make a great sermon illustration. Think about this. The vessel can't give forth the liquid that's inside unless it's broken. Just like us, we have to be broken so the Spirit can pour forth. What a great sermon illustration. And then you've got the gift of prophecy people. And they're like, you know what? I saw a vision of this last night. I could have told you about this whole deal before it happened. Thank you, gift of prophecy people. So you've got all these things now happening, taking place to clean up a mess inside the body of Christ that has happened. And so the gifts all work together. But here's one of the issues that happens oftentimes. As the gift of helps person and the gift of mercy people, they're working together to clean up the mess. They look over and they see the gifts of administration people and they see them not helping. And they go, how dare they? How dare they not help? Well, we're in the middle of cleaning up this mess. And then you've got the gifts of administration people and they're they're jotting down their notes. They're like, you know what? We should have never allowed Kool-Aid in the sanctuary in the first place. How dare they bring red Kool-Aid in the sanctuary? And then you got the gift of teaching people going, I can't wait to go share this with all the other people I'm going to go meet. This is awesome. And then you got gift of prophecy going, I could have told you all this was going to happen even before it happened. See, what happens is a cautionary tale is that we can look to other people who don't have the same gifting. They don't have the same body part. And we can begin to be jaded about them not serving in the way that we're serving. Now, what also happens often as we operate inside the body of Christ is that, let's just say, for example, uh, I've been gifted as an arm. And I'm operating well as an arm, but I've decided, you know what, I really want to be a leg. I, want, I really want to just walk around a little bit. And so I begin to walk around on my hands because I want to be a leg even though God made me to be an arm. But you know what happens when you walk around on your hands? Uh, for hours at a time, you get stinking exhausted. You wear yourself out. So too, this happens when we don't operate inside our gift where God has placed us. When we operate inside the gift that he's placed us, we don't get exhausted. We don't get worn out. Do we get tired? Yes. But I have talked to people uh, many times on a Sunday where they say, how do you do that, or how are you able to teach like that? I got to tell you, um, it's not work. It's it's such a pleasure. It's such a gift. I I don't get exhausted doing this. I get exhausted doing lots of other things that aren't my gift, but this I don't get exhausted doing. It doesn't mean I don't get tired. That's not the case. In fact, Jesus oftentimes got tired. He had to take a nap. But but it's not exhausting when you operate inside the gift that God has given us. And so as we pray and the Lord reveals, here is your gift. And then Jesus says, here's a ministry that you can take and use that gift within. And then as you're using that gift, God the Father actually gives us power, energy to be able to work inside that gifting. Here's what happens. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. One last spot. But then we can come together equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. As we all come together and we work together in all our different parts, some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, that then the equipping can happen so that other people can actually take this message of the gospel and go out to your workplaces and in your families and you can share the love of Christ. Christ can be in you as the hope of glory as you interact. And as that happens, the body is actually equipped and the body 
is edified and built up. So, Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the way you just love us. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you're patient with us as we muddle through this life and we carry on and we try to figure out where our gifting is. Lord, oftentimes we can't figure it out because we have our own idea of what we are. I want to be a leg or I'm an arm. So, Lord, help us to be able to just exist inside the calling that you've given us, to be able to operate in that spot, knowing that if we operate in that good and perfect spot, we will not get exhausted. We will not wear ourselves out if we stay in our lane. Lord, help us as we continue to grow as a church and we mature, that we not forget the most important thing, and that is love. We can do all this stuff, but if we don't have love, none of it's going to matter. So, Lord, help us to love one another better. Help us to love one another more purely as we operate inside the gifts you've given us. Thank you for being a good Father. In Jesus' name.